Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, uh, you may be wondering, what on earth this guy needs to move this stage? Come up here. Come up. This is not typical. We're not typically leading music. So this was the C team uh, that was up here. So <laughs> some of us got on vacation and some of you got sick. And so hopefully let's keep praying that the C team does not show up next week. Um, but thankful that we could sing about Jesus. And I hope that as we sing about it, we pray before we start. You know, Ephesians and Colossians tell us that we instruct one another through singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And if you doubt that's true, remind yourself of the first time that you walked back into these doors after the pandemic started. Just to hear the singing of God's people. It is a shout to your soul. At least it is for mine. I hope it is for yours. Have you ever been ashamed of someone or something? Perhaps you know somebody or, or something you did or in my old youth group days, Edward at Thomas, uh, forced teens into situations where they have to be with somebody they thought was uncool. And I knew that they thought they were uncool because teens have the ability to spill their guts all the time. And they don't think anybody's listening. So you smile them enough, they're going to tell you what they're thinking whether they want to or not. Yeah, that person's not cool. And all of a sudden, like, all right, well, those two are going together. They're going to be on a team. They're going to be in a game. That's just going to be how it is. You kind of put them in that situation. You know, they think of terms in the teenage terms of loser or cool or nerd. You know, terms that we make up because we think better of ourselves and typically think worse of others than we need to. Disney recently released a movie called Encanto where and parents are probably about ready to vomit when I say that if they, they on, a, on Disney Plus And everybody's afraid to talk about Bruno, and they're ashamed of Mirabelle who does not have the gifts of everyone else. If you haven't seen it, don't uh, spare yourself. Fear and shame, fear and shame encompass kind of who we are and what we do at times. It keeps us from doing some of the things we ought to do. So when I grew up um, in Michigan, I cheered for a team called, I don't know if you can see my fancy socks, the Detroit Lions, Okay. I wear those often on Sunday just to recognize that I do have a team and they do play. They just, you don't hear about them because they always lose. So our simple joy is like watching our team rival, the Packers, go down. Like, that's where I find my joy in the season. So today, today is a good day. Sorry, excuse me. My mom's a Packers fan too. But I remember growing up and we would go down to Lions games on Thanksgiving Day. My dad would get tickets and buy one, get three free. And we would walk in, that's not a joke, we'd walk in, and I remember as a kid, the first time we're going in, I'm like eight, nine years old, I'm like, I'm going to see Barry Sanders, this is fantastic. And you walk in, and there's all these people, I don't know if you remember this, they had these things on their head called paper bags. And they had holes cut out so they could see. So they're watching the game, with a, the entire game, with a paper bag over their head. And I asked my dad, what on earth? Like, it's not Halloween. What are these people doing? Well, they're ashamed to be a Lions fan, and they don't want to get recognized on TV that they're here. I don't know if it started in Detroit, but we, we, we made that thing pro. Because I'm not joking, it wasn't half the stands. It was a lot. It was a lot of people that did not want to be known as Lions fans. I'm like, what? How could they not want to be associated with Barry Sanders? Well, it's because his team always loses. 
But there's fear and there's shame, things that we don't sometimes want to be associated with. Or you're like, I really like that, but I'm not sure I want to be connected with that. If you can understand the idea, Paul is going to be trying to talk to Timothy to embolden him out of fear and shame. Fear of what others may do or think. Shame of who you're connected with and who you're connected to. In 2 Corinthians 5, which is read today by Becky, Paul tells us that we are to persuade others simply because the love of Christ compels us. It controls us. It pushes us to do it. Because Jesus loves me, I'm compelled, controlled to go persuade others. One pastor said, and I heard this this last week, said of this idea, no one, listen to this, no one that knows and loves Jesus can be content to come to Him alone. No one that knows and loves Christ can be content to come to Him alone. Saying, if you truly know Him, you truly believe that He loves you, who wouldn't you tell? You have this great news? Have you ever found a great deal at a store and you call Cream cheese sale. Do you want some? I mean, online, I just had something to Walt Bakery the other day. I found something. Hey, he's going to love that. Sent it to him. He ran to the store. They found it. Stellar deal. We share stuff all the time like that. Hey, you got to get this. That's free. Go stop. You're going to hand stuff out. Even better, God loves you. Can't tell him. What was I thinking? What might they say? The greatest news we have. Truth that we sing about. Oh, great God of highest heaven. Occupy my lowly heart. Just don't make me tell somebody else. God, help us. May the love of Christ compel us to persuade others also. So how does this tie in here? So how can Paul embolden Timothy to stick with it? Here you have a weary, timid, trial-laden preacher. How can Paul reignite the flame of his faith? Today we'll see that just like Paul, as, they, as we, by example, dwell on the gospel, as we, by example, dwell on the gospel and live holy lives, God can use us to reignite the faith of the struggling. Let me repeat that. As we, by example, as we dwell on the gospel, and live holy lives. God can use us to reignite the faith of the struggling. Let's read through the text here, 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 12. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 12. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, and listen how it's quote this, but of power, of love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. 
but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. Sorry, and am convinced. I'm going back to the old song. So we have to, we have to read that correctly. I know whom I have believed, right? So when I go back to the song, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, before we go on any further, I want to point out the structure of the text. So this is not a typical structure that we think of in our day and age. And so it's called a chiastic structure that kind of funnels in towards one point. There's a lot of this used in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's used over chapters of a book. But I don't look at this. So if you look at your text, look at Second Timothy 1, 6 through 12. And again, if you're new here, uh, we preach through books. So next week, we'll, Lord willing, we'll be on verse 13. But how does this text structure? So first, look at verse number 6 and 7. You see that Timothy was given something or entrusted something by God. And then now look at verse 12. And so we have this up here on the slides. Verse number 12, Paul talks about what has been entrusted to him. Okay, so in the first, you look up here, we have God gave, right, to Timothy. God has given us the Spirit. Verse number 12, God has entrusted to me. Something's been given by God to somebody. So these are kind of our bookends. Now everything's going to kind of funnel into the middle point. So keep looking. Verse number 8, Paul tells Timothy to not be ashamed. Verse number 12, do not be, Paul says, I am not ashamed. So Timothy, do not be ashamed. Verse number 12, I am not ashamed. You guys see this? Okay, the next one, what's after shame? Suffering. Verse number 8. Verse number 10, you see Paul say the same thing. Um, where he went through, sorry, verse number 12, he says, which is why I suffer. So he tells Timothy, share in suffering. Paul says, I suffer. After that, what's after suffering? The gospel, verse number 8. Verse number 10, Paul says he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So you see these are working our way in, some of these same themes. And then verse number 9, what's first verse number 9? Who saved us? Verse number 10, through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have saved and Savior. That leaves this in-between saved and Savior. Here is our main point. And what is our main point? We see this up here. It's in verse number 10. Sorry, verse number 9. Who saved us and called us to what? A holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus to raise the end. So we have this given, we are given a holy calling by grace. So God gave to Timothy and to us. God's entrusted to Paul. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Timothy, do not be ashamed. Verse number 8, share in suffering. Paul says, I suffer. We have the gospel. We have saved Savior. And have this middle line. Everything's funneling down to this one point. We're given a holy calling by grace. And so if you're reading through this, this is going to be your central point of what he's trying to talk about in verses 6 through 12. So we see this main point. But how do we connect this to what I just mentioned? That as we, by example, as we dwell in the gospel and live holy lives, God can use this to reignite the faith of the struggling. So how does that connect? First, let's look at, we're going to start at the end here. This is verse number 12. As we, by example. So let's start at the example that we have in the Apostle Paul. Let's see how he models. Look at verse number 12, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. We typically do not like people that expect us to do something they're not willing to do themselves. Right? Do you 
you meet somebody like, hey, I want you to do this, like, are you willing to do it? If they say no, like, well, why do you want me to do that? So for a drunken parent to tell their child, don't drink, how does that go over? I mean, it's the same. And so I mentioned this a couple weeks ago with teens. So if parents tell your teens, read your Bible, and they're going to turn and ask you, are you reading yours? I don't see you out here reading your Bible. So right, those kind of things. So we expect somebody, if they ask us to do something, are willing to do it themselves. In sports, if you're going to be the captain of the team, you have to work harder than everybody else. you got to lead your team in that example. The same is true here. Paul in verse 8 will ask Timothy, you share in suffering, but he's not going to ask Timothy to share in suffering and say, but I'm not willing to. Paul says, I suffer. I'm not sharing in suffering. I already there, I'm already there. I suffer. Like he said right at the beginning of this verse. I suffer. In chapter 3, verse 11, Paul will speak of different cities in which he did suffer, and some of that where Timothy was privy to. Paul endured sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Also throughout his journey, Paul has proven that he's not ashamed of Jesus. If you think of his famous quote in Romans 1.16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Each one of those phrases finds its part here in 2 Timothy 1.6-12. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Read through this text 6-12, and you'll see each one of those phrases is here. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. So what would allow Paul Timothy, or you and I, to endure suffering... And to have boldness of someone like Paul. Paul gives you his reasoning in verse number 12. He says, For I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You're going to look at Paul's past, his present, and his future. First, Paul's past, he believed. You can read of this in Acts chapter 9, where Paul on the Damascus Road, God came and saved him gloriously. And Paul was turned from darkness to light. And sent on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with Jews and Gentiles. He is the Savior of the world, is what, who he put his trust in. But Paul knew in his past, he believed. He placed his trust in Jesus. Friends, has there been a day in your past where you have put your faith and trust in Christ? If not, may that be today your present. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Well, what about Paul's presence? He knows his past, what Paul believed, but he says, even in the jail cell, Paul is convinced that Jesus is able to guard. What has been entrusted to him? What's Paul been entrusted? Back again, in Acts chapter 9, he was entrusted with a task and a mission. It's like Jesus sent his disciples out on, go make disciples. He tells Paul, I'm going to make you a light unto not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And he gave Paul this task. Go share the good news of the gospel. So what's Paul been entrusted? The gospel. You're supposed to go share it with everyone you see, Jew and Gentile alike. Go share the good news of the gospel. And he also has a certain future. He says he's able to guard until that day. Paul knows Jesus will come again, and his gospel will continue to prevail even after Paul's gone. The gospel will continue until Jesus returns. One writer said of this, even though Paul might be put to death, yet the Christian faith will be preserved to the end. The work of the gospel will not end with the death of Paul, but will be entrusted to others. Paul suffered, but Paul's not ashamed, and he's convinced for the future that God's word will work. 
that the gospel will still change lives. Like we heard this last week from, pa- from Mr. Jody's testimony. Of his family member that came to know Jesus as their Savior. The gospel still works. The person that you think there's no way God could ever save them. You've given yourself the wrong view of who you are. And you've given them the wrong view of who they are. Because you're a sinner. If you came in these doors today, we didn't make you one. You are one. If you were born, you're a sinner. Born going astray. But God. But God. He changed you. He changed me. He changed any cat out there. God works. He still saves. And this gospel still is going to continue and move on. So we must realize that as we, by example, we have to be an example. Paul modeled this for Timothy. It's not do as I say, not as I do. It's do as I say and do as I do. Do them both. But I'm going to ask you to do some hard things. Because you have to preach the gospel even through suffering. You cannot be ashamed of Jesus or me. But I'm modeling this for you. I'm showing you how to do it. Senior saints, grandma, grandpa, mom and dad, college students, teenagers, elementary kids. There's always a group beneath you, isn't there? Model for them what it means to live like Jesus, to have no shame, no fear of who he is or what might come because the trust is set. I know whom I believe and I'm convinced he will guard this good message until he returns. And I will share it, and I will share it, and I will share it till he takes me home until that day when he returns. Model. Model this for those underneath you. So we have to realize that as we, by example, as we dwell, we see this next part, as we dwell in the gospel. Dwell in the gospel, verses 8 through 10. Look at verse number 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 8, Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Now the thought continues, verse 9, Who saved us? How are we saved? How is a sinner saved? Paul is going to get pretty blunt here in verse number 9. You're saved. This is not because of your works. I I don't know if you've ever played sports. And and so maybe this is in other realms. Maybe it's in music. Maybe it's in your hobbies or whatever. Teamwork at, at your workplace school, collaborating on a project. But have you ever had somebody that did nothing but wanted all the credit? Have you ever met somebody like this? They did nothing. But then they want all the credit for everything that happened. Think of that person, Bozo A. Right? I didn't do anything, but I want the credit. Paul's looking at Bozo A and saying, you didn't do anything for salvation. It's not your works. What'd you do? 
When you came to Jesus as your Savior, what did you bring to the table? It's a great album out by Shane and Shane, Christian singers, and it's called Bring Your Nothing. That's what you bring. Open your hands. You got anything there? Offer them up. That's what we have to give to the Lord. That's what's so sweet about it. As we look and we're like, I don't have anything. I'm a sinner. This, I, I can't. I know. And Jesus says, come. That's what I want to hear. You got nothing. You don't deserve it. Have I got news for you? That's who I save. Those that realize they can't do it by themselves. Those that realize they need me. Come to Jesus. Come. His arms are open wide. Come to him. Bring your nothing. You didn't do anything. Not by the works. Not by your own works. So why did God save us? Why? But because of his own purpose in grace. Why did God save you? Because he purposed to. Why would God purpose to save a sinner like you? You ever wonder that? Why would God purpose to save a sinner like you? Read the rest of the sentence. Because of his grace. We have in heaven a gracious God who looks down on sinners and purposes to save them. Not because of anything that we have, not because of anything we do, it's just his simple goodness and grace. He plucks us out of the fire that we belong to, makes us his own, he cleans us up and he robes us in Christ's righteousness, he makes us holy, and then he guarantees you, I will complete the work I started in you. And you will be mine forever. We have to live with him, bask in his glory. Why did God save you? Not because of anything you did, not because of anything I did. I brought my nothing. He made me something. He made me his child. He gave me a new name. He made me a new creature. He gave me a new heart, a new will, a new mind. Hey, Jesus says, I'm his forevermore. Praise God. Christian, this is the good news of the gospel. Why did God save you? He's good. His purpose is beyond ours. Because if you were God, there's no way you'd save me. And there's no way I'd save you. Because we don't deserve it. But it's because we're not gracious like he is. He saves because of his purpose. And his grace, and that's the gospel. And keep reading through the rest of this verse. Think through the gospel currently here, which he gave us in Christ Jesus for the age of the end, which now has been manifested, revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he was incarnate, when he came down, when he came in flesh and was born in that manger, made himself known to the world, who abolished death when he died on the cross. So go from Christmas to Easter, when he died on that cross, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, but he died and was in the ground for three days, but he didn't stay dead, and he rose, which it continues to say. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's dead, buried, resurrected, he ascended on high, and he still lives today. And he gives life to all that will come. Come. And if you've already come, wow. 
with the hands lifted high, God, why would you save me? I wanted to be grateful to you. I, God, wanted to be gracious to you. Maybe all of eternity is us uttering thank you. Thank you. Well seemed simple. God, you're great. What an amazing God we serve. We have to, Christian, dwell on the gospel. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. It is my past, but it in, it's infused in everything I do. It's in my present because God will guard it. It's in my future because it will live beyond me. I'm going to be reminded for ages and in ages and eternity future of how good the gospel of Jesus is. Dwell on the gospel. Remind yourself of what we, man, we get, I don't know about you, we get a high view of ourselves, don't we? Look how good things have, I've turned things around. I'm not like my loser neighbor. Or coworker, what a bummer! Or bozo a. Friend, if God can pluck you out of the fire, He can do the same for you. Go, tell them how great He is and all He's done for you. As we, by example, as we dwell on the gospel and live holy lives, our next point: live holy lives. This is key. We're to live holy lives. Look at verse number nine. And he saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ for the ages of beginning. A holy God saves sinners. And this holy God calls the sinners to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. We are to be holy. To be holy, to be an example like Paul, we are to live holy lives. What does living a holy life look like? We know what it doesn't look like, don't we? Living in the muck and mire of sin. We know what Jesus has called us from. We went in this summer and went through a series over five marks of a Christian, and we realized that being part and living a holy life means obeying the Father, living out the fruit of the Spirit, living like the Son of God, living within the family of God. These are things that we have to be doing as part of a holy life. But what pushes us forward to live holy lives? Paul lived a holy life. And how's the ending for him? An old man, lonely, sitting in a jail cell, about to die. Well, that doesn't sound good. How do I get to holy without the trials and the suffering? How do I get to Jesus without people hating me too? What did Jesus tell his followers? They hate me. They're going to hate you. Now, my mom, last night, she called me to FaceTime with the kids, and she's pretty excited about this thing that happened last night. But again, we, why do we keep talking about Green Bay? Because we get one joy we have as Lions fans, watch them lose. But she's calling my boys, and she's talking to them, and it asking, will they cheer for her team? tonight because the Lions aren't in. And there's an answer, no. 
So Nana, my mom, tried to get my kids to cheer for this team years ago, and it ended up with dad sending the kids to bed because they started cheering for that team. And then they realized, no, you're, you're not serious, dad. Oh, dad's serious. And the hatred for that letter G has driven me to do some weird things in our home. But now, when my kids wake up this morning, they love. I've done something right. Now, my mom doesn't think so. She bought them pajamas that had those logos on there. Said, pick them up. Walk them to the trash can. It's like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. It's not going to happen. When they're 18, they're on their own. They do whatever they want. Till then, there are a couple rules you abide by. Love Jesus. Hate the Packers. So that may not make sense. You're like, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because that's that sense of when we're connected to something or someone. Love for something and hatred to something usually falls in that line. There are things that your kids love simply because you love them. There are things that your kids hate simply because you hate them. Living that holy life means that I love what God loves. I disdain what God disdains. Because I want to be like him. So when I wake up in the morning and I see he's rejoicing, I rejoice. When I see my Savior weep, I weep. Because I want to be like him. I want to live a holy life. That's what propels us forward as Christians. Even though we know suffering and trials may come, I love my Savior and I know the gospel. And as I dwell on it, the gospel, the good news that God saves me not because of my own work, but because he's just gloriously gracious, that pushes me forward to live for him today. No matter what comes. No matter what comes. As I mentioned earlier, God promised that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Friend of Christian, you may be here and you may be looking at your life and feel like you're just falling to pieces. Life's a mess. There's so much stress or anxiety. Whatever's going through your brain, your mind, whatever the accuser of the brethren is trying to get at you on. Repeat that phrase over and over. He who began good work in me will complete it. He will complete it. Well, tomorrow I may, yeah, you know why? Because we're bozos. We're knuckleheads. Tomorrow we may fail, but God promises he will complete the work. Is it because of all the good you've done? Good gracious. God be praised that he will complete the work. And sometimes we look in the mirror going, there's no way. There's no way. But simply trust that the God that can save you will keep his work. He began the good work. He will finish it. He will finish the work. So live. Live in this holy lifestyle. Be what God wants you to be. Love what he loves. Disdain what he disdains. Enjoy what he enjoys. But as we, by example, as we dwell on the gospel, and as we live holy lives, it allows us to get this last part here. God can use us to reignite the faith of the struggling. Now we're back to the very top of this text in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1. 6 through 8. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, that God gave us a spirit not of fear, 
but a power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. Paul's trying to embolden Timothy to fan the flame, to reignite the flame of his faith. The gifts of God that God gives us are supposed to be used, not supposed to be covered, not hide it under a bushel, not to be squandered or left out. Timothy's human, he's facing false teachers, he's facing opposition, and he's fearful or timid, depending on your translation. So God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity. But of power, love, and self-control. Timothy, God is better than the Wizard of Oz, who gives the cowardly lion a medal. God doesn't give you a participation award. He gives power, his power. Love, his love. And the ability for a sinner to actually have self-control. Will you live out your holy calling and do the work of God? How will you do that? His power. How will you share the good news in the face of opposition? His love. How will you endure false teachers and opposition within and without? Self-control. Timothy, reignite the flame of your faith. Therefore, he says in verse number 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in sufferings the gospel. You can't be ashamed of the one that purposed to save you, Timothy. And he says also you can't be ashamed of your brother or sister in Christ. Timothy, you have to endure suffering. In chapter 3, 12, you're going to hear Paul say when we get there, chapter 3, all who desire to live godly, all who desire to live a godly life will in Christ Jesus be persecuted. You will. If you desire to live a godly life. Who wants that? Well, that's why some stay silent. That's why some zip their lips and throw away the key. I don't want to. I want to offend them. I want them to think poor of me, lose my relationship. Perhaps they just watch me, and after like 15 years, they'll be like, well, there's something different about you, and then they'll come ask me. And once they ask me, hey, tell me about this Jesus you know, then I'll know, now's my chance. That may happen. Let's plan on it not happening. It's never happened to me. Typically, the best way is just go, do you know Jesus? Do you believe in him? But fear and shame. But God did not give us that spirit of timidity. He says, Pastor, it's not my personality. It wasn't before Jesus. Do you know him? What does that verse say he gives you? Well, my person, no, no, no. What does it say he gives you? Power. His power. It's there. He's given it to you. It's like me telling you, hey, there, I gave you a Lexus. The keys are in your garage. You're like, nah, don't want to drive it. You never use it. He's giving it to you. You're just not using it. He's giving you power. Well, why would I tell him? Because the love of God compels you. Power, love, self-control in the face of opposition. Christian, God could use us in an amazing way as his people. Spread the light of the glorious gospel in Rockbridge and Lexington. If we would simply 
dwell in the gospel, live holy lives, and then open our mouths. Some say thanks. Paul says, I can't. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Why would I ever want to shrink from that message? As we, by example, dwell on the gospel and live holy lives, God can use us to reignite the faith of the struggling. So what does all this mean today, today and what can we apply to our lives First off, friends, Paul said earlier, I know whom I have believed. Has there ever been a point in time where you believed, you placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ? If not, would you come to him today? You can do so by admitting that you, like I, were sinners, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that as we mentioned, he did come, he did die, he did rise from the dead, ascended on high, and he still lives today. Believe that who he is, and then call on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Come to him today. If you have questions on that, see myself, see a Christian friend you came with. I'd love to talk to you about that. For all those that are here that claim to be Christian, let me ask you a couple questions. First, friends, Christian, are you weary? Are you weary? Is it tender? Beautiful. Thank you. God gave us. He didn't say God would give us. God might, if you're really popular to Jesus, he'll lend it out to you. God has already given you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. You don't have to be dominated by sin. The love of Christ can compel you and push you forward to share the good news. And you do so in his power, through his work. People are like, what's got him to you? Jesus. Are you struggling? Recognize, Christian, that God has given you the spirit, not a flesh. Next, are you sharing the gospel? Paul's life was intertwined with the gospel. He preached, he lived it, and he loved it. Are you sharing the good news of the Savior? Last week we saw that it may need to start by simply praying for them, if you did today, but eventually you'll need to open your mouth and share. As I read this quote earlier, no one that knows and loves Christ can be content to come to him alone. No one that knows and loves Christ can be content to come to him alone. Christian, God could use you as you share the gospel to bring your loved one, your neighbor, even a stranger to Christ. Get to think that God could use you and I to change a soul for all eternity. We saw today a little life, 26 little lives were saved, and that may last each one of them 60, 70, 80 years. But God could use you not just to save a physical life, but through just sharing the good news to change a spiritual life and somebody can be saved for all eternity by simply dwelling on the gospel, living a holy life, and sharing the good news of Jesus. Next, are you like Paul? Are you modeling your holy calling for others to follow? It's hard to tell others about Jesus when they know you don't look like him. Isn't it? 
I told a lot of people about cheering for Detroit Lions. And that may be a lot like sharing the gospel because there's not a lot of victories in that. Not a lot of people want to jump on that bandwagon. Everybody can be finding cowboy fans because they'll find them everywhere. Right? Go find yourself a Kansas City Chiefs fan. That's great. Go find yourself a Tampa Bay fan. Because they're winning. Try cheering for a losing team that you know will lose. So I know what it's like to get rejected. Yeah, no, I'm not cheering for them. It's hard for me even to sell that on my own kids. They love me. They're like, I don't know if I can go do that, though. I can hate Green Bay. I don't know. I can cheer for the Lions. Christian, we're going to get rejected when we tell others about Jesus, but we have to model for them a holy living, a holy calling. They have to see Jesus in you. So maybe before you can share the gospel tomorrow, you might need to start off with an apology. You know me. You've worked with me. I've blown it. I've not been what I should be. And even though I've blown it, I've got to tell you this. Something happened a long time ago. And I, I don't live like I, I, I always should, but I've got to tell you, it's the greatest news I've ever heard, and I, I'm convicted I should have told you this a long time ago. Jesus saved me. So however it's got to get there, model that holy living. Lastly, today we see how kind and how gracious our God is to call us, to make us his own before the ages began. He knew you by name. And he purposed to save you by his grace. Praise God. How can you adequately praise him this week? the praise that he deserves. Maybe it's just waking up every morning with simply two words, thank you. Or maybe it's two words, help me. However it starts, however it ends, may we praise God for the way he ought to be praised. Let's bow for a word of prayer. If you do, you take 30 seconds or take some time here, quiet your heart and ask, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me change? Is there somebody you'd like me to tell the good news of this gospel to. Take 30 seconds, quiet our heart. We'll pray and we'll sing one last song. We'll let you go. be afraid or ashamed of who you are and the work you're doing. Lord, grant us the boldness to share the good news of the gospel with others. Help us to model a holy life that we dwell in the gospel, live holy lives, and maybe even there's somebody here that we could stir up or encourage them. They're struggling, and maybe we can encourage them by dwelling on the gospel and living a holy life and modeling for them how they ought to live. So for those that are here that may not know you as your Savior, would you bring them to yourself today? In Jesus' name we pray.